Cavalier fans and proud Americans. Or French people, Cavalier French fans. I know there are several of them. Here we are, right before the Cavaliers take on the Brooklyn Nets in a daytime matchup. International basketball, a showcase of our boys in the wine and gold and the Brooklyn Nets. I need to fade this French song out. La Mars High La Las. I'm sorry. I took Spanish in high school. In any case, joining me on the Fear the Fro podcast today is a repeat guest. Someone that I think of as a dear friend. He might just think of me as an acquaintance who bothers him from time to time to come on the podcast. But someday, someday I'll have a nickname as cool as spin that we call one another. And then we high five. Because inside, nicknames are the currency of friendship. But for the time being, it's audio only, and it's my man Spin Davies back on the podcast. Thanks for joining me, Spin. No problem, man. I hope you had a good holiday and a good New Year. It was good. I mean, I think most Cavs fans must feel that way considering what's transpired. I kind of wanted to get your perspective. Uh, Your perspective in part because you're, you're around the guys more, the way everyone's feeling, the way you feel about it personally. So I would say just there's just a lot of fun being had right now. You know, you figure you lose two of your top stars on the team, two of your core four, and that you're going to pull apart. And you've seen some teams around the league do that before. Um, you obviously see what's going on in Memphis. You don't know how they're going to respond. Obviously, they got a win last night uh, after the job Morant news dropped. But this team's gone on a completely different direction, and it's been in a positive direction. The fact that you're seeing guys step up like Sam Merrill, you're seeing guys like Craig Porter Jr. step up, Tristan Thompson off the bench, as he has all year, but in a time of need coming in and giving, you know, very significant minutes. So, you know, you look at that and you look at a guy like Isaac Okoro, who's really found a a niche and a groove. There's deep. They're deep. And there's a reason that they went out and, and made sure that there were a lot of players like each other, so to speak, in stature, like each other in play style, because it's translated to not having missed them as much, I guess, not to like take away from obviously stars and Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, but you can see that the the team mindset and everyone playing for each other, being at the top of the NBA and assists since those injuries happen, that's kind of stuff that schedule helps a little bit. You know, you take on the Wizards twice, you take on the Spurs in this stretch. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, that's a little helpful, but you I mean you went out on the road, stole one in Dallas, um, put up a hell of a fight um, against a couple other teams, eight and three or yeah, seven and the, three, the something Pels, like that. The Pels, the Bucks, and the Raptors. I, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Pels game, that was ugly, but the other two, they weren't horrible yeah. losses. I and the Pelicans won. one, too, was on the second half of a back-to-back. So it's like, I think when you look at where they're, where they're at in the standings and what their record is, and you say that when you receive the news in mid-December, right before the holidays, and you're just like, wow, this is a crappy gift. Uh, the Cavs have gone a different way. And, you know, JB's really good at, at working with, with less sometimes. It's, it's kind of, I think, helped get them to where they wanted to be offensively, especially. It's been quite the emotional journey in the sense that when the injuries happen, there was people ready to throw in the towel. But a few weeks removed... We're seeing a lot of great team basketball. Very pleasant to watch. I'm curious your confidence that what we're seeing now won't be confined to just this injury period. I think that effort is going to be the same. I think the the kind of sense of urgency that they've played with will be the same. 
I'm curious to see how Jarrett Allen's usage looks like when Evan Mobley returns sometime. Probably I'm, this is not um, this is just me spitballing here, but when he returns in sometime in mid-February or something like that. From what I've gathered, Darius Garland still has at least two to three weeks uh, before he comes back because his jaws, you know, wired shut and he literally can't talk. Um, you know, so that stuff I, I feel like is still kind of down the road to think about. Um, but obviously when they can come back into the fold, how does that affect Sam Merrill's minutes? How does that affect uh, Craig Porter Jr.'s six minutes that he's getting right now again for some reason? <laughs> you know, how does it affect, you know, what Karis LeVert, who's been an absolute, that's another person that doesn't get nearly enough love. Um, the way that he can just go out and be a, a backup point guard or if you need him to be a microwave scorer or if you need to be a, a shutdown defender, um, he does it all. I go back to Jared Allen. I think that the Jared Allen kind of discovery that we're seeing here, he, when Evan Mobley was on the floor, was kind of playing that role of, all right, you know, I'm the defensive stopper and then, okay, I'll finish a couple here, uh, you know, in the dunker spot or uh, I'll get a couple of, looks in the paint but when they run their offense through him with this group right now it's completely different you're looking at him he's not just doing the pick and roll thing man and it's not just dribble handoffs either he's up there literally commanding attention and passing and he's he's kind of i don't want to say he's playing like point center because he's like at the middle of the floor but he's above the break on some of these um he's running some fake dribble handoffs he's running dribble handoffs you know, sometimes he's shooting some mid-rangers here and there. Uh, you know, he's attacking off the dribble when these guys come up on him. And then when defenses sink, that's the perfect opportunity for him to kick out. The formula originally, when Evan and DG went down, was we're getting the ball to Jared Allen in the paint. And the first week, he was just eating. This dude was inside, dunking, hook shots going. He was getting found in the pocket. So then teams started adjusting. They're starting to sink a little bit more. And when they sink a little bit more, that leaves a Sam Merrill wide open. That leaves uh, a Max Struess wide open. That leaves a George Niang wide open, right? Uh, Karis LeVert, Donovan Mitchell, whoever it is. You're just kind of forced to make decisions, and you're moving the defense because they're so dang scared of what Jared Allen can do in the paint. There's so many different elements of this offense that have made it as deadly as it's been. This is not supported by any stats. This is just my eyeball observations of when Evan was in the lineup. I think there are things as far as running the offense through Evan that he's he's pretty good at, um, perhaps even more so than Jared Allen. Uh, I, I always felt like he was pretty good at passing on the move, whereas maybe when I watch Allen, I see a guy who the dribble handoff game is just better simply because he's a bigger body. It's harder to navigate and, and maybe from a, a standpoint of just standing still and looking at what's available to him, whether it's back cuts or what, or being patient enough to let guys come to him, top of the circle, dribble handoff game. Those are all things which are – it's such a breath of fresh air with Allen that even when Mobley comes back into the mix, I'm not – I'm not so naive as to think that all of a sudden we're just going to decide that what Evan's role coming into the year was is all of a sudden Jared Allen's role. But I do hope that there's a concerted effort to take notice of the stuff that's working well with Jared Allen and maybe vary the kind of looks we get from the bigs a little bit more moving forward. And, and I'd have to do agree with that, too. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people think that because Evan Mobley isn't a shooter, per se, that he can't share the floor, share the floor with Jared Allen. That's just simply not true. 
you know, they won 50 plus games last year with this, this tandem. Yeah. It might not be as pretty on the, the offensive end of the floor, but it is on the defensive end of the floor. And you're seeing as well, you're talking about, okay, what are the negatives of this stretch is that their defense has taken a bit of a step back because their perimeter defense isn't as great. Jared Allen can only do so much if he's getting pulled out of the paint on his own. Do you want better stats or do you want better team performance as right. well? That's another thing I want to look at. Like, do you would you rather have Jared Allen averaging 20 and 12 and like or would you rather have Evan Mobley averaging 20 and 12? Like, yeah, you, you kind of really to care about the individual you know the individual part of it or do you care if the the team succeeds and 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 see that's the frustrating part to me because i do think there's a large faction of the fan base maybe some of the people that just they're not in it every night watching the games they care about the team they care about the roster they have their favorites and sometimes they'll just blow right past the win because the people that got us there weren't the ones who they hoped they would be there's got to be some balance between okay we're not going to go away from our superstar players but what can we do to not lose what we learned in this stretch. And you have to keep that three-point rate up the way it is. A lot of old school, you know, old school type viewing people look at this and say, oh, they're chucking, they're chucking. Look, they're they're shooting more than 45 threes a game. Uh, That's not right. You know, they should be looking to get into the paint more. And I agree to that to an extent. But if you get in the paint, then you're going to find threes. So if you watch the games... They're getting into the paint. They're not just doing the pass around uh, the perimeter deal. These are generated threes. And I'm sorry if you look at the looks that they're getting. They're fantastic. You want Sam Merrill to take a three a minute if you know the kind of shooter that Sam Merrill is. You want Max Struess, despite him being in a rut right now, you want him taking eight to ten threes a game. That's another place where individual numbers don't mirror his actual impact on games. Because you can look at how Struces regressed from an individual box score and percentages number, but then when you look at the performance of the team when he's on the floor and even the most effective lineups, he's a part of nearly all of them. Because he's doing a lot of the facilitating as well. Um, The possessions where you see where Donovan doesn't go one on five, because he does, he does sometimes. Uh, Max is kind of the initiator, right? He'll do the the two-man game with Jared Allen. He'll do the two-man game when Evan Mobley was healthy, right? He's also doing the cutting when he doesn't have the ball and, and really working that baseline, working some diagonals. Uh, but the thing that I think stands out the most with Max for me, he looks up the floor. And I actually asked guys about this in the locker room after Sunday's win over the Spurs. No, If he gets the board or a teammate gets the board and he gets the ball, he is moving that thing up the floor. He, whether he's advancing it himself or he's making that pass up floor, up the court. And that's something that you really don't see um, in the stat sheet per se. But to get the, the team to play with the pace that JB's been looking for since the beginning of training camp, I think is huge. If you get a team before they're set on defense, then you have a much better chance of scoring. And here's the thing that the other argument when it comes to this three point thing and how they shouldn't be taking this many, the more possessions you have, the better chance you have to have a higher score, the better chance you have to win. It's that simple. It's, it's really that simple. I agree. And in fact, as far as the defensive slide goes, it's not huge. We're a middle of the pack team. We were a fringe top 10 team before Evan Mobley went down, but offensively, 
This was the 25th ranked offense in the NBA prior to December 15th. We're now the sixth ranked offense over this stretch uh, in the last 11th games. You can absorb a certain amount. And I'm curious if you think there's any validity of this, because I've seen this pitched around on social media and some of the people who I respect, who I know watch the Cavs, the idea that we've improved vastly in this stretch in terms of our ability to rebound and get second chances. And a lot of that has to be attributed to the fact that the Wizards, for example, are just the worst rebounding team in the league. Uh, I don't want to overlook the opponents, but at the same time, playing without Garland in the lineup has allowed us to kind of stay home at the rim a little bit more because Okoro is such a pivotal part in those backcourt rotations. Uh, And I think the fact that we're getting all these three-point shots up, we have created so many two-shot, three-shot possessions on offensive rebounds over this stretch. I don't feel like it's been this appreciable hit to defense that it could be just based on that. Yeah, and I like I like that observation too about how many second chances and third chances they've been getting. A lot of that you got to credit to to Jared Allen. You got to credit you called it. I mean, Isaac Coro has been awesome on the glass. Uh Max Struess has been awesome on the glass. Even You're just fighting these guys. Even Yang, yeah. he had t- over the yeah. last three games. I said this on the last pod. We've all noticed this three-point shooting is starting to fall in these last few games, but he's contributed 21 rebounds in the three-game span. And Tristan Thompson, yeah. you alluded to him earlier. It's just been such a pleasant watch that I'm hopeful as we go into what's a much more difficult stretch of games. We see the Bucks multiple times. This race in the Eastern Conference, there's such a clump of guys and teams in this stretch between, you know, the fourth seed and the play-in spots, not only is it difficult to get through this stretch without guys, but the pressure is going to increase as we head towards the end of the season because the difference in being, say, the 4-5 seed and sliding back into those 6-7-8 spots could be the difference between advancing around and getting bounced in the first round. Yeah, and I thought I I saw this either on Monday or Sunday, but I saw two teams that had twenty-one and fifteen record. One was the fourth seed, one was the eighth seed. So you're you're not wrong as far as the the gap, and that's when regular season games do matter. That's when they do matter because of tiebreakers and all of that good stuff. So don't let that facade either trick you either. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. The New York Knicks, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers, Orlando Magic. All of us are within one game of another. So. You look at some of those teams, and you look at the tiebreakers. Now, in a situation where it's head-to-head, it's it's a little less convoluted. Uh, You look at the head-to-head matchup. If it's two teams that are tied, you look at head-to-head matchup. Usually, that'll be enough to differentiate. And if not, then you end up going to the conference record. In a situation where it's multiple teams all tied for the same record, it gets a little more complicated because you start comparing, okay, what are their win percentages against all the tied teams? And then much like the NFL, somebody who is a division winner gets an advantage over a non-division winner, which that kind of stacks the deck against the Cavs because we have the Bucks in our division, whereas teams like the Heat and the Magic, somebody's got to win that division. And that one is, I mean, that's the easiest path. But I wanted to get your thoughts on those specific teams. The Knicks now have played five games in a row with OG Ananobi and won all of them. Since the trade, they're the best defense in the NBA. Some of that can be attributed to the teams that they've played. Of those five wins, they've knocked off the Wizards, the Blazers, the Bulls, but they also beat the Timberwolves and the Sixers. Uh, OG has gotten better across the board in terms of he's putting up 
nearly five three-point attempts a game. He's shooting 46% from outside the arc with them. Hartenstein is a starter since Mitchell Robinson went down. He's now played. What a what a job he's done. Holy it's unbelievable. Hell. It's unbelievable. Just in I saw general too this year. I saw this number. This blew me away. He's now started 11 games. And just to put it in a Cavs kind of frame of reference, we have an 11 game sample with Jared Allen just playing probably the best basketball of his career. In the 11 games since Hartenstein has become a starter. He's doing double-digit rebounds. He's he's doing a block and a half a game, almost two steals a game, and he is a plus 117 on the court. Now, Jared Allen, who's playing unbelievable basketball, he's a plus 29. Obviously, plus-minus is not indicative of everything. It's a lot, a lot of it's reflecting of who you have on the court. But the impact he's made as a starter at such a value contract, $8 million, coming off the books this year, they've got some hard decisions to make because he's playing his way into even bigger money. And if that wasn't enough in terms of the front court, we're all over here looking at Sam Merrill. And Dante DiVincenzo, in this same stretch where Merrill has exploded, he has played just 23 minutes a game, and he's shooting 43% from outside the arc on over seven three-point attempts a game. He's been unbelievable. So they're starting lineup and the unit they're rolling out there is playing incredibly effective basketball. I think their bench has been good. I I think that that Josh Hart has done a hell of a job um, just crashing the glass playing defense. Big, big fan of Miles Deuce McBride, Cincinnati native. You know, you lose Emmanuel quickly. That was your guy. That was your guy off the bench. And you needed somebody to, to come off and give you guys a spark. I know the starting lineup has played terrific together. Goodness, goodness me. I mean, Jalen Brunson, you're hard pressed to find someone with better footwork than that guy um, as a guard, uh, the way that he's able to kind of work uh, his way into, you know, these back down situations, get guys to jump on pump fakes, whatever you want to call it. I, I like what their bench has brought to the table, truly. And I'm I'm curious to see, you know, the more he gets integrated into their system, if Precious Achua gets minutes, because that guy is versatile as hell. You've seen flashes of it, obviously, with Toronto the way that he's able to kind of push the basketball and he's, you know, got a six, eight, six, nine frame. That's an addition to everything. And you know, obviously big respect to, to Julius Randall too, for, you know, the way he's bounced back these couple months after the start he had to the season. He's been phenomenal. And, and I feel like yeah. precious is a good hedge anyway, because with Hardenstein's contract situation being kind of up in the air this summer, depending on what happens with Mitchell, it's nice to have a guy that even if he, is essentially playing the backup role now, he could slide right into that if they can't retain everybody that they have moving into next year. I mean, they still have the ability in retaining all the draft assets that they had through this trade to strengthen that if they choose to. And I've seen rumors of things like, okay, Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, all sorts of people who might be in play for the Knicks because they do have Fournier's contract as a deal leveler. They do have multiple draft assets to use over the next several years. It's already a team I want nothing to do with, with the added fear of they could potentially be even better before the trade deadline. Yeah, it's New York. You know that they're going to try to go for it, right? No no trade's going to top what they did with OG there. We we talk about people that watch box scores, and you're probably like, you know, the, the casual fan might just be like, why are we trading RJ Barrett for OG Ananobi? This makes no sense. Look at the numbers, blah, blah, blah. You look at OG and this, I don't think there's more of a, a forward, more of a small forward tailor-made for Tom Thibodeau. He is the closest thing that Tom's had uh, to Luol Dang in a while. You know, like Oh, that's he, a good comp. That is a good I, comp. I love I that I mean, comp. 
he is just so perfect for them in, in the fact that you've got your wing defender. You've got the guy that can shoot the three. You've got the guy who can in play make a little bit. You just got a good basketball player who's very smart. His IQ is is off the charts. You know, frankly, shrewd move uh, that the Knicks made there. And ditto goes for the, the Raptors, too, though. I, I mean, obviously, you think, you know, getting a, a guy like R.J. Barrett, a home, you know, hometown, home country guy uh, to come and represent the the team. I think they, they, they've they loved it so far. Same with Emmanuel quickly. Um, so, like, it's one of those trades that right now looks like it's working out for both. Okay, so I wanted to touch on the Heat because that's another team where they're more similar to us in that they've definitely dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, they're 7-4 and four in this stretch since our injuries happened, but only three of those games have been with Jimmy Butler. They're getting good play out of Tyler Hero, out of Bam Adebayo, and the guy that I wanted to bring up is somebody Cavs fans are very familiar with, and that's Kevin Love. And I think it's gone fairly under the radar that this year, in his last 13 games, all of which he's logged more than 20 minutes a game, he's giving the Heat 13-8-3, and three on 50-38 splits, and that's with more than six three-point attempts per game. Not to say that he's the Kevin Love that we remember him to be, but he's a hell of a lot closer to that level of Kevin Love than he was when he was bought out here in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of because it's necessary, right? You need to step up when guys get hurt. So kudos to Kevin Love. I, I want to say kudos to Nikola Jovic. Uh, I think he's stepped in and played a solid role for them um, as a starter. I know that he fans were, were probably looking for uh, last year, but you know it's one of those things like where you have to develop, you got to wait. But great playmaker, cl- crashes the glass. Obviously, the frame can use a little work, but he's still real young, right? Um, and speaking of you know young talent, I mean this is a rookie that was a you know four year guy at UCLA, but Jaime Jaquez, you can talk about what he's able to do. Ridiculous. Um, the first game that Jimmy Butler uh, you know missed the starting lineup and he had to go in, like he was terrific, right? Again, I, I talk about tailor-made for organizations. <laughs> I don't think there's a more Miami Heat player than Jaime Jaquez. Just right? perfect plug-and-play, drop him in. Immediately, yeah. he's playing like he's been in the system for two, Maybe three undervalued, years. you know, like for where he was picked. Uh, and again... Oh, a thousand percent. I, I watching, get... that, watching that Raptors-Lakers game last night and thinking, okay, Jaime Jaquez could have stayed home in L.A., Instead, they go the Jalen Hudshafino route. It's just the Heat story to a T. It felt like this was preordained. This kid's averaging 30, 31 minutes a game, right? He's making the right plays. Um, he's definitely got a body big enough to defend. Um, he, he can shoot the ball. He can get to that, that mid-range area. He's just been great for him, honestly. I mean, you're shooting 51% from the field and 35% from deep. It's your first year. Golf it's- clap, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they've got a runway to do more because just in the next two weeks, they get games mm-hmm. against the Nets, the Raptors, the Hornets, uh, yeah. twice against the Magic. I mean, this a lot of these, a lot of this glut here is going to be sorted out over the next two weeks. And it's going to be tough sliding for us with the Bucks, you know, multiple times this month. The Pacers, they have injury issues of their own with Tyrese Halliburton going down. But fortunately, what a shame that was. It, absolutely. The, the, Although, the, the way he was playing, man, 84 assists to six turnovers in a six-game stretch or something stupid like that. It is it is crazy, to, too, to see the success they've had against the very best teams. It sets yeah. up those tiebreakers yeah. to be exceptionally difficult for the Cavaliers because when you look at a team like the Pacers and you see they've got four wins against the Bucs, they beat the Celtics a couple of times, when it gets to that conference record, I mean, I'm happy for the Pacers, but 
at the same time, every time that happens, I feel like I'm kind of rooting against my own best interests because I love so much of that team. I feel like there's so many parallels to the Cleveland experience rooting for a team like the Pacers. But I'm excited too, the same way I was with Craig Porter Jr. when the Pacers went down, to get back into a situation where TJ McConnell is going to get to play some significant minutes until Halliburton comes back. And by all accounts, the results of the injury and the MRI seem to be about as positive as they could be, considering how it looked. Uh, They will definitely be somebody who could potentially also be a player in the trade market before we get to the the deadline. Because much like the Knicks have Fournier, the Pacers have Buddy Heald, they have to decide what they want to do with him. They're pretty deep on the wings. Uh, It could get interesting. Rick Carlisle's made the, the funny comments about the defense, right? Hold on. I got that right here, actually. Being historically great on offense is is fun, but it's, you know, even dating a pretty girl gets boring after a while, you know, if she can't guard anybody. <laughs> that that part is definitely, you know, all the buckets aren't going to go down. They're not going to be scoring 150 a game, right? What, how, how many times have they done this year? I forget which podcast I was listening to that was talking about their offensive rating versus like what was the highest one in the league, say, 10 years ago. And it wasn't even close. The volume at which they're scoring <laughs> is just insane. And they moved the ball incredibly well, too. They were the only they team do. ahead of us during this stretch in terms of, you know, assist percentage. The, all those teams, it 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 does it does make you look at the schedule we have ahead and hope that it, an ideal situation for me would be we get into either the four or five slot. I mean, I I know that there's teams I'd like to avoid in this glut here. In a perfect scenario, I want nothing to do with the Knicks. I would prefer to just be in a scenario where we're taking on either the Magic or the Pacers, and then a distant second would be the Knicks or the Heat in those situations. That I don't think is what will actually play out. But I'm curious if you feel like if there are beneficial matchups for the Cavs. You bring up Indiana and Orlando. I think those are the obvious picks just because of the lack of experience. Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly, and New York, they all know what it's like. They're just they're on the same playing field as the Cavs as far as the playoff experience is, is concerned. Much more, actually. Yeah, I would say Orlando or Indiana. You would like to get between four and six, you would like to not have to go into the the play-in tournament per se. They're definitely in a good headspace right now. I have one more question for you. This isn't an easy one. I, I, I waited on it till the end because uh, I don't even know if, if I have strong feelings one way or another. But I'm going to give you two scenarios. If I told you that you either had to break up the bigs or break up the guards... And by the guards, I mean Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And by the bigs, I mean Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. If I, if I told you you had to go one of two routes, uh, with the objective being to have a team that you believe can win the most games possible, which would you choose of those two scenarios? All this talk about keeping the core four together and you do this. <laughs> like I said, hypothetical. Uh, I don't kidding. think anyone wants this. I, I think the optimal thing is the starters oh, come wait. back, they gel with these bench guys, which are playing amazing ball, and all of a sudden we have a stacked team that has reliable depth, yeah. as opposed to how we all felt in that Knicks series, which is, you know, it was a it was a grab bag of what you'd get when you went to the bench. I would go oh man, this is not easy. I would go with the guards. Breaking them up or the keeping them together? What are you saying? Uh, the, the 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 breaking them up, like you're putting me on the spot, but <laughs> you know, um, I would go with breaking the guards up if I had to choose between the guards and the bigs. Okay, 
I was just curious. I mean, obviously there yeah. is no right answer. The the right answer is hopefully this is never a question that that we we right. find out the answer to. I do feel like it's been a season and a half now. We see amazing individual dominant games due to injuries primarily. We just haven't got to see a long stretch where we get to see them both just thriving together. And that's yeah. still what I and feel that's, like. We're that's waiting. the thing that sucks is I would love to like go in and see how much the core four has played together since Donovan came in. Well, I saw and, Carter from the Chase Town um, yeah. posted a tweet the other night about, you know, how much has the top three of each team's played together. And outside of the Heat, this season, the Cavaliers have maybe 12 games where those three guys had all played together and then Jared being the odd man out in his uh, assessment. Mm-hmm. But it certainly doesn't feel like it's been very much. And not to mention, too, the front office went out and got shooters for this. And you haven't been able to see that in full effect yet. You haven't been able to see Max Struess with those four very often. You haven't been able to see George Niang in the mix with those. Shoot, you haven't been able to see Sam Merrill with those guys. I don't I don't think you look at Sam Merrill and say, hey, that guy's out of the rotation when those guys come back. I think it's positive, too, that like of the two guards that could get injured, I feel like there's been more questions as to whether Donovan can maybe pound the ball less and move the ball more. So the fact that he's the one who's here along all side these shooters during this stretch, I think that's probably more important because we've seen, you know, before Donovan arrived, Darius is perfectly capable of moving the ball and running an offense and getting everybody involved. It's just... I hope during this stretch where we see Donovan thriving so much with these guys that that trust uh, and those habits carry over to even when DG is mixed back in. And that's that's that I will give you. Donovan, he has so many unselfish like like if you watch possessions like he he does have a reputation as a guy that dribbles the the ball out. But he's not that guy until the score starts getting tight or the yeah. you know like once everybody's that's something he, until they he, get punched in the mouth type of scenario where it's like, okay, when shit gets tough, yeah, sometimes. Correct. And his teammates will he'll let him know about it, specifically George Niang. Niang told us that too. Like, or I mean, Mitchell told us once that he's like, hey, you went one on five. You you got us over here in the corner. <laughs> um, so there needs to be more self-awareness and that like you have to trust what's worked this whole time, right? You look at the end of that Spurs game Sunday. There were multiple possessions where you could have gotten a better shot from like the five minute mark on. Don't play with your food type deal. But if you had to ask me to go into like NBA stats and go in possession by possession, I'm going to tell you more often than not that Donovan's getting inside or he's getting doubled and he's giving it up more often than he does the dribble, dribble, dribble. He does that at the wrong situational times is what I'm trying to get at more than he does it all the time. I agree with that assessment. I think it's been very positive when he's been in the lineup, especially during this 11-game stretch when he's been in the lineup. There's a couple of things that happen. These aren't Cavs topics. I just wanted to touch on them before we wrap things up here. Did you happen to see the end of the Lakers-Raptors game? There was obviously a lot of fouls. The Lakers won that game in a close affair, and there was some um, very loud protests from the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, uh, Darko Ryakovich, what did you think about that game last night? The foul discrepancy thing is something that it ha- I feel like it happens to every team. Uh, and you hear this from a coach probably every other couple weeks. JB just had that too. JB had that, um, I think, was it the Toronto game? 
Was Probably it the Toronto was. Game They're or? all elbows and arms. That game felt very frustrating. JB did go off. I don't want to get on like an official thing because officials do have a tough job. Um, oh, I agree with you. I think my I think what I found interesting about the whole rant is uh, if there is one thing that you rarely see, it's uh, a coach going completely scorched earth uh, this early in his tenure. I mean, it definitely <laughs> doesn't happen with JB. Uh, JB is much more diplomatic in the post game, typically, to the point where it won't get any headlines. Whereas Darko leaned into the other end of the spectrum, which is just loses goddamn man. I think I have a clip here of, um, let's see here. Oh, Scotty Barnes is going to be the face of this league. Uh, oh, well, that was an isolated one. Here's the here's just the rant, the best part of the rant. What happened tonight? This is completely BS. This is shame. 23 free throws for them, and we get two free throws. In, in the fourth quarter, like how to play the game. How's possible is Scotty Barnes, who is all-star caliber player in this league, he goes every single time to the rim with force and trying to get, get uh, to, to the rim without flopping and, and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How's that possible? How are you going to explain that, that to me? If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. <laughs> But that, that was not fair tonight. Scotty Barnes is going to be all-star. He's going to be the face of this league. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding you back. It's a complete crap. <laughs> oh, man, that clip is going to live on this podcast forever. It's a complete crap. Probably not the whole 40 seconds or whatever I made you sit through of it. I often wonder, I'm like, I wonder if the fans would be more behind JB if he... If he went at people like that, I mean, it might not. He get might want to just keep his money. Yeah, no, he'll definitely, <laughs> he'll definitely take a fine. But it's ultra ironic hearing that rant. The Cavs in two games against the Raptors have a thirty-seven free throw disparity. In they had a game where it was twenty-nine to three, Raptors to Cavs this year uh, in free throw disparity. So that was probably the game that I was thinking of. Then. It's and me. and it's funny when the shoe was on the other foot. Yes, it is. It's it's delight. Also, I think uh, my take on the whole Darko thing was I watched the game and there was definitely some killer fouls called in terms of just crushing blows in what was a very tight game. Like to get back to back, uh, you know, quickly, a little hand on the back shove on Anthony Davis. And then the very next time down the floor, he does the kind of Isaac Okoro elbow swing through where he catches Reddish on the chin. Now, it's definitely a foul, um, but that fouled him out of the game. Uh, and it was on two straight possessions. Like, I agree with the general sentiment of Darko, which is that, yeah, there was, I mean, Anthony Davis just was running a train to the free throw line last night. But at the same time, to say, to the whole thing about Scotty Barnes is the face of the league, it's like, that's the part where I think he loses people because you're trying to make the appeal to the fan at large that you're being treated unfairly. So you want to seem objective. And in the same breath, you're going to campaign for your guy to be an all-star in the face of the league. It's like, you, you can leave that part out. Just focus on the individual calls in the moment because people are going to hear that rant and say, ah, that's Homer. This guy thinks Scotty Barnes is the face of the league. Next. <laughs> hey, I mean, JB's called Evan a superstar before. So, if, 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 but Has he done it a, while screaming, though? Has he done yeah, it while screaming about while officials? Because that's, that's hey. my whole contention is just separate the two things. Advocating for your guys is the most natural thing in all of head coaching. But doing it in the middle of a rant about how you're getting fucked by the officials, that's the part <laughs> where you lose me. 
<laughs> hey, this, this, you're just using this as, as ammo for the, the rookie of the year argument two years ago, aren't yes, you? Yes, I'm relitigating <laughs> it, and I'm going to continue to do that at every opportunity. And quite frankly, I appreciate you being my foil and sounding board uh, for this moment of me just... Play that clip uh, one more time. And there Scotty Barnes is going to be the face of this league. I also got this one queued up. No, I was using opiates. That's our own Brian Winhurst. I didn't really have a purpose for that. I just, I just heard that clip the other day, and I thought I should put it in the arsenal. Uh, in any case, I've taken so much of your time. Spencer, every time uh, you tell me you're going to come on the podcast, I think to myself, keep him less than a half hour. He's never going to come back. Uh, and then next thing you know, you know, we're 50 minutes in and uh, you're just a saint. Next time, <laughs> this is my promise to you, Spin. Next time you come on, uh, you're getting a custom open. That's what's happening. That's, you, would be my, you would be my first, third time guest ever on the pod. So I feel that it's warranted. Uh, and I'm, I'm greatly appreciative that you were able to, we didn't even touch on the, the, the calves and nets in Paris, but you know what? There's plenty of time to do that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> all right. It's cool. It's cool. I will, I will plug this though. Uh, I just talked to Joey Graziano um, and he's had a strategy and development helping kind of market the event on Thursday, uh, obviously. Um, fun game, fun environment happening over there. Um, there are people from over 14 U.S. states going into that game that are traveling into Paris. Uh, they have a lot of, you know, activation around the game, players helping out with junior NBA camp, special Olympics, a um, lot of good stuff going on over there um, in France. It's the Cavs, believe it or not, it's the first, first game that the Cavs have played in the regular season in Europe ever. So when did they start doing cool, that? Yeah. Do you know? Did you find that out in your conversations and research? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, they've been to Mexico and they've been to Brazil, but they have not been to... Um, a European country before. So this is the first time they've gone to France. You know, this is the Nets' second straight year going to France. They're just kind of building the communities up over there. Um, the Cavs, obviously, uh, very, very well respected uh, by the league and obviously the the fan base that, that follows on Instagram and all that, all the numbers and stuff. Um, all in an article on CavsInsider.com that I did, um, just a Q&A with Joey Graziano. Um, go check it out really really fascinating information if you're interested in the business of basketball yes um, that was that was really cool absolutely actually i already read that article if uh people need to find links to your work they can find it on your twitter account as well at spin davies so uh i would recommend everybody who doesn't follow already which i'm sure you all do um you should definitely go check it out uh you you, you provide one of my favorite reads uh in all the calves twitter and all the calves coverage just in general and i've said in the past you know the mailbags i love those but i love all the the articles and content that you're putting out along the way here as well. Appreciate it. And if anyone's interested, um, I've got stuff on my portfolio too that's not Cavs related. Um, and I've done some articles from some local guys around here, um, ohhoops.com as well. So yeah, check check all that out. Check my workout and shout out to you your know, brother as back. well. I saw he dropped a thirty <laughs> piece the other night. He did. He had his first thirty ball um, last week, and it's been really fun to to follow along with his journey. Unfortunately. Um, they lost last night by two uh, at Brooklyn, but but uh, get a chance to bounce back here next week. So, um, but it's it's really fun to be a part of, and um, I appreciate the the love for for Cade. He just got in the paper too. Got so um, real proud, big bro moment for me. Yeah, and, no, it's uh, awesome to see you support him like that. It makes me root for him just vicariously. I want good things <laughs> for the whole that. Davies fam. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll do it again soon. 
All right, so now that Spin has departed from the podcast, it's time to jump into the mud. We haven't talked about this sack of shit yet. I think it's time that the world get to know me. I'm speaking about Draymond Green. Fear not. Draymond's moving in the right direction. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. The scummiest, dirtiest sack of shit in the NBA has finally ended his indefinite suspension, and he did it in a style that only Draymond Green can. That's right, he monetized it. He came back to the NBA with the re-debut of his podcast, which has been dormant for six and seven months. But wouldn't you know it, the same day Draymond Green is set to come back from his indefinite suspension and tell us all about how much he's grown as a human being, he announced a new deal with the Volume Network, Colin Cowherd's podcast network. So yes, as you listen to how repentant he is and how much he's grown as a human being, you will be lining his pockets as well. And if there's anything that says, I'm sorry, it's financially profiting off the suffering you've inflicted upon others. Now, this is typical for the Draymond Green playbook. He did a TNT mini documentary after punching his teammate Jordan Poole in the face. But don't think that just because I think it's a disgusting display of capitalism on the part of Draymond Green that I didn't listen to his entire 50-minute load of horseshit where he talked about crying in his backyard with Steve Kerr and what a good guy Bob Myers is, etc., etc. But there is not a single better piece of audio that I could play you than this recording. This was recorded in real time because I was rolling on the whole podcast to put those random clips in here, and this happened. One thing that I do realize is the responsibility is much greater than I realize. And so I said said that to say... With Norwegian, wake up to a new city nearly every day. That's right. That's where they put in the ad roll. Immediately after this inferred endorsement from Draymond Green. I said that to say... Scotty Barnes, he's going to be the face of this league. What? Draymond Green endorsed Scotty Barnes as the face of the league. So yeah, I'm not going to get on some gigantic tangent. There's two things that disgust me, though. One is having to constantly listen to fake emotional Draymond talk about growth as a human being and continue to go out and pummel the faces and nuts of his opponents. The world still thinks I'm the same Draymond as I was in 2017. And the reality is, is I'm not. At this point, show me. Stop telling me. And if you could, please. You know, maybe stop telling me in a way where you're making money off the suffering that you've wreaked upon your opponents. That's the end of this episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm Bob Schmidt. I would greatly appreciate anyone who enjoys this Cavalier podcast. It is a labor of love. I don't put ads on it because, quite frankly, I don't know that anybody would want to advertise when I say fuck every fourth word. But more importantly, because my goal is to build up a community of Cavs fans to as large of a group as is humanly possible because I want to be the face of Cavalier Podcasts. And then eventually I'll sell out and betray you all. But until then, I need your help in making this podcast appear as large and respectable as possible. And the fastest, easiest way for you to do that is leave a five-star rating and or a review in your podcast listening platform of your choice. I thank you in advance. One final plug, if you want to interact, if you want to leave me a recorded audio message, I have a plugin on my website. It says, talk to Bob. You click the button, it will record off your phone, 
off of your computer, whatever microphone is hooked up. It will send me this audio via email. It can be a question, a comment, an insult, a, a recommendation, some constructive criticism. And then I will chop it up and I'll put it in the podcast and maybe I will put it next to a soundbite that you do not want associated with your name, such as this. It doesn't mean you liked sex with underage girls. Till the next time on the Fear the Fro podcast. He's the greatest. I don't care what to say. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro It's over. podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here. It's Cavs Pod, not FroPod. Gotta change that.